Now don't get don't get scared and start turning off your radios, huh? I'm not advertising or trying to sell you anything. If the mouthwash you're using uh, is uh, not the right kind and it tastes sort of like sheep dip, why well, you just have to go right on using it. I can't advise any other kind at all. Welcome to Bacon, Beans, and Limousines. This is a Will Rogers Memorial Museum podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Crumwee. Guys, and I'm Bart Taylor. We want to welcome you into our 14th podcast. We finally got here. We didn't think we'd get to 14, but we are to 14. Uh, we are excited to offer the uh, Folly story to you. It's going to be probably a two-parter, wouldn't you say, Jacob? Yeah. I think so. We've got a lot of material, a lot of good content. We're going to go through a couple things that are going to be coming up as well at the museum. So I say sit back, relax, pop those cowboy boots on. We'll see you in a bit. All right, guys, welcome back. Hey, we'll do another round two. Welcome back in. Guys, a few things have changed here for the uh, bacon beans limousines peeps. Yeah. Once again, we are down in the basement drinking fresh coffee. It's been a long time since we've been down here. But it has been one. a long time. Yeah, we've uh, we've had a lot going on. Um, First off, a couple changes. Yeah, our director, as we mentioned last time, uh, Steve Greger, he's retiring at the end of uh, August. Griggs. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Greger. Oh, director. Greger. Yeah. Okay, yeah, sorry. Um, and uh, Tad Jones, um, he'll be our new director. He's coming aboard uh, first of August, and you know he's going to kind of get oriented to everything that we do around here at the museum. And uh, we'll get him in on the podcast. That's yeah, actually, we, uh, we kind of wanted to do. I think. Yeah, we wanted to. Uh, have him aboard here pretty soon and, you know, let him say hello to you guys. Um, but anyway, on top of that, boy, it's been a, it's been a long past couple months. We've, uh, some of my duties have changed. I've got several other jobs that have been kind of put on me. So I've been trying to <laughs> find ways of managing my schedule to get to the point where I can, we can keep free some time up to do a little bit of podcast. Podcasting. Yeah. Cause it's important. But uh, one of my new things that I'm doing is uh, managing our events, and we got a big event coming up. The fly-in is in um, a couple weeks. Is that uh, uh, Sunday, the August 17th? Sunday, August 17th. Is there a cost to it? No, it's free. It's out at the Will no Rogers. No way, it's Will free. Rogers Birthplace Ranch, free, 8.30 a.m. I'll be there at 6, oh, like last time. We're gonna, you're going to need to be there earlier than that. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I'm going to be there at 5. That's a little off, off the mic. Hey, you're going to be there at 5.30. <laughs> uh, trash duty again, hopefully. Oh, so. yeah, just on a constant circle, <laughs> station to station. I usually just fall around the same people and just pick up their trash. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you who those people are. <laughs> well, uh, before we just ramble off into oblivion here, let's, uh, let's get to uh, the Will Rogers uh, content. We're going to be looking at uh, the Zigfield Follies when uh, – Will Rogers started his uh, his um, professional relationship with Florence Sigfield. Talk about that. It's going to be a two parter. Two parter. Yeah, this is a this is a big time period for Will's life. Uh, he meets a lot of mentors, kind of like Fred Stone, of you know when he was working with vaudeville and yeah. and all that good stuff. So we will see many a famous name and uh, yeah. you know see a lot of beginnings. Um, not only criticizing, uh, not criticizing, but, you know, just poking fun at presidential people and uh, yeah, yeah. Pol politicians alike. So, and this is some of the first time this stuff goes on and, and guess who's doing it? Old Willie Raj. My little Willie Raj. So, um, give us a couple seconds, guys. And we're going to take a quick break. Take a quick break and come back and we'll follow you. Okay. You betcha. All right, bye.
Tired of being pulled by a two-mule team? <laughs> Why not be pulled by a 20-mule team of Tewedian coffee? <laughs> Why 20? Because that's how many we have in our backyard. <laughs> well, now we have 19. So why not be pulled by a 19-mule team of Tewedian coffee? Tewedian coffee. Freshly brewed brilliance. Have you tried yourself some coffee today? Tewedian coffee. Back! We're back, guys. Um, Let's dive in. Let's dive right in. No more nonsense. Um, so yeah, Florence Sigfield. Um, oh, yeah, we're gonna explain kind of what the Follies was. Yeah, he uh, Florence Sigfield was the proprietor. Um, he's the one, the producer. Um, without a doubt, Florence Sigfield was really a theatrical genius. I mean, he was really exceptionally bright, but um, he was more of a promoter, and he knew what people wanted. Um, and he, he came was, around like the perfect time period. Uh-huh. Yeah. I the mean, all, all this stuff that he was doing was, um, he had a real good, he had a finger on the pulse and was uh, really knowledgeable about what would be successful and everything. But he was never a director. He didn't have any talent writing music or choreographing these lavish stage productions. Right. You know, he was, he was just more or less the guy behind the scenes saying, this is what we need to do. Let's do it. Well, it's always like a, a good leader, you know, putting a team together. Like, Absolutely. You know, one of his two top guys that he used that you probably yeah. talk about gene buck right you know uh gene buck was um you know famously known for coming up with the illustrated sheet music yeah which i think is kind of interesting i think we have a couple pieces of old follies music here at the museum yeah i think I, so I, I think i saw that in jennifer's collection there so um so it's just it's, just, it's kind of neat to see who ziegfeld surrounds himself with i mean big names like wc fields that we'll talk about here in a bit i mean some of the elite com- comedians i mean maybe will rogers you know yeah well. it, one that everyone would probably recognize, um, Ed Wynn. He was a, mm-hmm. he was a worked with uh, Ziegfeld quite a bit. Ed Wynn. He was um, you might Alice in Wonderland, the Mad Hatter. He did the voice of the Mad Hatter. He's in a lot of old early Disney productions too. You know who Ed Wynn is? You look. Kind of well, I said uh huh and looked away quickly because <laughs> I, I didn't know. Okay. I still do the kid reaction. Yeah. Like yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, Edwin. He was uh he was also did some some work with Ziegfeld and uh, vaudeville as well too. Um, uh, tell tell them kind of what, you know, this was a period in the twenty well you know before the twenties, but you know, girls were you know this was kind of said to glorify the American girl. I, yeah, I kept reading that and what, what kind of what does that mean exactly? Well, you know there was. Uh, a lot, this, the production itself had a lot of um, <laughs> chorus girls, okay. and you know, so you know, there was a lot. Um, the uh, shows relied heavily on chorus girls, and you know, their lavish costumes. They would have, you know, and large... they would wear lots of clothes, right? Well, not necessarily. <laughs> um, I heard uh, you go to describe it as the longer uh, Ziegfeld was involved in putting on the follies. The less and less <laughs> clothes yeah, the uh, I think the Will made that would, into a joke as well. Would wear, yeah. um, but uh, you know they would have you know the huge large uh, feather head uh, headgear uh, headdresses and um, you know the the big the big lavish ridiculous looking costumes and, and you know it was uh, there, there, I'm sure it would be really fun to see a show like that um, just in the way it was just a lot of pomp and ceremony as far as as far as the production went, and I think it would be really cool. It's kind of perfect for the age. Yeah, well, know? exactly. Um, you know, there were 
uh, there was a lot going on in that time period too. So it, uh, it really fit the time. Um, but, uh, I would think we should start out probably in about 1913, um, just to throw a date out there. Um, that's when, uh, Florence Sigfield, um, he started using the, uh, the, uh, new, da- new Amsterdam theater. This was down, um, on 7th Avenue and 42nd Street in New York. Um, and, and this is considered Broadway at the time. Yeah. Right? Okay. Right. All right. Yeah. And we were talking, you know, interestingly enough, I think it's it's good enough to bring up on here about you looking for those pictures of Oh yeah. So of the of the New Amsterdam because it's it's a real skinny the, the building yeah. when you're looking at it on pictures. I was doing some research on this last night and um I haven't been to New York at least to see the the New Amsterdam Theater at all. So I was like, well, I just kind of want to see what it looked like. And I was looking at some pictures online. And first off, I mean, the the theater itself, the main theater, is absolutely beautiful. I mean, just beautiful, lavish. I mean, it's just gorgeous. Um, But the building itself is like a really tall, well, I say really tall, taller than buildings around it. It's about eight stories. Um, But it's really skinny. It's only about, it's about three windows uh, wide. Um, And... uh, the way the way the New Amsterdam Theater was set up, you know, there was the um, on the first the fourth floor, the the bottom ground floor was the um, was the main theater. There's a the large theater. That's where the Ziegfeld Follies production was. Okay. And um, Florence Ziegfeld had this uh, idea. This would be back, um, I think, in the beginning of about 1915, uh, 1914. He had the idea and um, was to create a uh, kind of a sort of nightclub at the top. This was an eight-story building. And and this so was kind the, of a post-show get-together. Yeah, where this would be kind of like a nightclub, like when you go down and see, see, the, see the show. You still um, want to go out drinking. And right. He was and like, okay, we can just keep this going and charge you know, another dollar admission, something like that, for them to go up on the, on the roof of the theater and just keep going with the, with the, and f- it, was it, the fun. Was it like the uh, New York elites that would attend this type of thing, or was it just anybody could go to the... Yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of... It was a very popular form... Um, I don't think it was quite like uh, it wasn't quite like um, the uh, vaudeville, which was really targeted, specifically targeted toward the middle class. I mean, it wasn't quite like that. Okay. Um, so it was, like I said, much more lavish yeah. um, than than something like a vaudeville variety show sort of thing would be. I think one uh, interesting thing, um, and I I want you to tell your story after I talk about this part, but <laughs> that story is pretty funny. Um, one thing about the Follies that I thought was interesting, um, the old you go to points out. That uh, Flo Ziegfeld, he offered a kind of a special type of genius to this entertainment. Um, Ziegfeld was himself a sensualist, um, you know, a very kind of transmorgified sexuality, as as, as, uh, Yagoda points out, retaining its power and allure, but turning it into a public spectacle. Yeah. Kind of kitschy, you know, yeah, um, yeah. That's and that's what he kind of did with this. That's a really good way of putting it. Actually. And kind of the, the the story you'll tell kind of points that out pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> there's this really funny story I was reading last night um, during you know one of the productions of the uh, Frolic, which up there on the the roof it was called the Roof Garden, like I was I was talking about just a second ago. Um, that's where Will got started, and we mentioned this last last episode too. But uh, with the Midnight Frolic, and so it was not quite as big a production, but still kind of the same sort of thing up upstairs. Um, anyway, he was uh, there was <laughs> this little gag that they would do. Um, you know, these shows were about, like Bart said, glorifying the American girl. Um, there was uh, they had these uh, large life size 
uh, pictures drawn of girls wearing different things, and it was in descending order. At the far end on the left side, there would be, you know, a woman fully dressed um, in this drawing, life-size drawing, uh, you know, in some costume. And then the girl wearing that costume would break through the, the paper, and, you know, there she was. Oh, this is very risque. And then, you know, it was, it was in descending order. And as, as you went farther <laughs> and farther down, they were wearing less and less clothes. <laughs> and so, the, the, you know, the funny thing was, you know, all the people in the audience were... were on the uh, edge of their on seats. On the edge of their yeah. seats, you know, in anticipation, yeah. waiting for that last one, which um, was fully nude, <laughs> the drawing. And once you got to the end... And you got to that last one. Everyone was, you know, at the edge of their seats. About to cover their eyes. And who pops out but Will Rogers. Oh, nice. <laughs> Dressed up as the cowboy, <laughs> you know, doing his thing. And it was... Uh, That's classic. Really, really kind of funny. I, I was reading that last night and I just I just laughed. Oh, yeah. That is classic. <laughs> um, one thing I was going to bring up um, about kind of the follies. Um, when uh, Zigfield was choosing his girls... I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, he was looking for a peculiar frigidity, uh, frig- yeah, frigidity and purity that Frank high school girlishness that Americans like. I thought okay. that was kind of interesting, uh-huh. even though he was this was supposed to be glorifying the American girl, and there was you know it played upon the the sexuality and things like that. It, he still wanted the wholesome, you know, girl the wholesome that, innocence, right? Exactly, and I thought that was pretty interesting, and it was also interesting that. You know, he he didn't just make a girly show. You know, it wasn't specifically right. just all girls, and you know, and that. So, yeah. you know, adding Will Rogers in there every once in a while, and well, it's pretty yeah. interesting. And yeah, the good thing about this kind of show, um, where I mentioned before, this is he's mostly performing at night, the midnight frolic. You know, the shows would start whenever the the follies downstairs or whatever production was going on downstairs. So it usually start upstairs at the. Uh, at the uh, on the roof on the roof garden, um, usually start about eleven thirty, and you know you play for f- several hours, and um, that'd be it. So he had a pretty wide open schedule as far as the rest, the rest of the day. You know he would get his rest, but um, he had the day to do whatever he wanted, and if that meant touring and doing something else, um, or just spending time with his family, he could do it. Right. So I was reading Betty's book too, and she really liked that aspect of it because you know it, she described it as a very good time where you know the Family could be together and uh, spend you, time. You know, together. you always wonder um, how you know Betty alone or just a wife would act when when mm-hmm. their husband's around all these gals. Yeah, these nightclubs certainly. You know, yeah. Because yeah. you know anybody would be kind of suspicious, but yeah. good old headstrong Betty. Oh know? yeah, yeah. And um, one particular thing that we would be just derelict in our duties if we did not discuss was. Uh, um, in the spring of 1916, for example, he was able to uh, do a, a brief tour with uh, the Friars Club, which he was a member of the Friars okay. Club for a while, quite a while before that. Um, yeah, anyway, so he was able to do a uh, tour around, and he was in Baltimore, and who was in the show, but none other than Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson. Wilson president, nice. Pres- sitting president of the United States. And uh, Will would later describe how horribly nervous he was because but he didn't do this till like later on he, he he was like he told people he was really nervous like yeah he wrote this after the fact yeah this was like eight years later he right. was writing a column about it actually after wilson died actually. right okay um and so he was kind of recounting what um what had gone on that evening because didn't didn't he have to write or a little address or he did write an address for woodrow wilson for his death he wrote a little something. He wrote a column. Yeah. Right, a column. His, his right. column okay. in his paper, in the paper. Um, 
but um, really, yeah, he was really nervous. And what was what's interesting, he uh, he would write um, up to that point, he had never heard of presidents being joked personally in a public theater. Oh wow! About their policies of the administration, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, it was one of those things that you know when. A president was there. There was that level of respect. You know, right. you, you don't make fun of them. Right. You don't do whatever you, you treat them with respect and let them enjoy their evening, sort of thing. Um, but he t- he took it upon himself that he said, I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna, you know, uh, you know, cut him one here. Will Rogers didn't do that. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't just uh, leave leave him alone. Um, you know, as nervous as he as he was, he um, he really did it anyways, which I think is interesting. Um, so he joked about all sorts of things uh, with Wilson. Um, he joked about uh, uh, Wilson's political rival at the time, William Jennings Bryan. You remember William oh, yeah. Jennings Bryan? I, he also said something about having only one machine gun and having to go get it from the other place to go train with it somewhere else yeah. or something like that. He joked about uh, Pancho Villa and the Mexican expedition. Oh, was um, that the one about he was in the papers, but he escaped later on? The, yeah, yeah. The, mor- the, the morning papers had him, but <laughs> yeah. by the time the afternoon papers came out, he was gone. Yeah, that's a great one. That is yeah. a great one. Yeah, um, I, I think that, that was... Interesting because Will, you know, in his um, in, in the little uh, article on Woodrow Wilson, you know, that was found in his volume four papers, um, it said it was the first time in theatrical history that the president of the United States came all the way to Baltimore to, to go see a see a, to see a show. Yeah. And OK, I think this is important to point out, too, because, um, yeah, someone some any old stage guy can joke at a president and, you know, that be what it is. But. The fact that Wilson reacted the way he did, I think, was important, too, because Wilson was laughing right along with everyone else. And Will described it in his uh, column that he wrote that everyone was kind of looking over to him to see if they should laugh or not. And he was laughing like, you know, nobody's business. So it was important in that regard because Wilson was leading the charge as far as, you know, make at the jokes that were at his own expense. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, and, and Wilson, after the performance, came back and actually met Will Rogers. Yeah, yeah. Which is really cool, I think. I mean, I think uh, right here in his weekly articles, it said, um, you know, I think he's speaking to how nervous he was. He says, well, I'm not kidding when I tell you that I was scared to death meeting the president. Uh-huh. I am always nervous. Um, I never saw an audience that I ever faced with any confidence for no man can ever tell how a given audience will ever take anything. But here I was, nothing but a very ordinary Oklahoma cowpuncher who had learned to spin a rope a little and who had learned to read the daily papers a little. Going out before the rist, uh, aristocracy of Baltimore and the president of the United States and kid about some of the politics of the day, which he was shaping the destinies of the nations. Yeah. So it was, that's, I thought that was neat. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the thing was, during Wilson's time as president, he wasn't really known for being a really jovial, humorous sort of president. Um, he didn't have a, he wasn't known for his great sense of humor. Um, but he really honestly seemed to really legitimately enjoy Will Rogers. And um, he actually even saw him several times after that. You know, he would make a point to go see Will Rogers. And I thought this was telling too. He would actually quote Will Rogers jokes about himself in, in speeches and cabinet meetings. In Congress, yeah. And things and like that. To Congress. Yeah, I heard that too. And so, I mean... <laughs> It's it's a it's a great great little piece of uh, precedent in Will Rogers' career because this is really who he became uh, known for. Once you get into his you know more prominent life as a yeah um, well, as mean, a columnist and everything, he he 
he he would joke about the presidents and and it was all in good fun and it was um and this was really kind of the first time that happened and it was it went really well so you know and that's such a big part of his life the you know joshing with the uh the, the politics and the uh the presidents and so yeah that's pretty cool it's another precedent and a, and a first in will rogers life as well as for the nation <laughs> and how comedians act right. just today right. i mean that's it's almost a part of the job as president to take all the beating of you know comedians and things like that and everyone jokes about presidents um you know even even to their face and right. things like that so um it's just kind of how things are done now and i'm i don't necessarily think will rogers was the first one to joke about presidents but he really is the one that kind of pioneered the idea um and actually you know talking about the wilson stuff um that uh, that uh performance there with the friars club um he would call will rogers would call this one of the happy moments of his career on stage so this was this was really important to him so I thought we should we had to mention that. Oh yeah, you have to mention that. I mean, when it says uh, the presidential party in Baltimore, which inc- uh, included Woodrow Wilson's wife, daughter, and the members of the administration, um, during the intermission, the president went backstage where he shook hands with Will Rogers mm-hmm. and other members of the Friars Troop. According to the account, the next day in the New York Times. Um, Wilson told them, gentlemen, you have complimented me by helping me put aside my cares. Yeah. And I thought that was yeah. awesome. Yeah, like, absolutely. The man of the nation comes back and says, thanks. You know, it's like, because how much was it going on at that time for him? You know, I mean. And I think that's that's such a good quote because, again, looking forward to, you know, the Depression era, um, you know, when Will Rogers was probably at the peak of his popularity, both in film and um, in newspapers and radio and things like that. What was good was Will Rogers' ability to not only stick up for the common man, but also joke, really lighten the hearts of people that were really down in the dumps and connecting everybody. Yeah, and yeah. I think uh, I think that's a that's a great quote. Yeah, and and, and one thing um, I think that was cool. Uh, <laughs> now this might not be, but this is in the papers. Um, one of the stagehands was uh, apparently overheard. Woodrow Wilson saying, um, I'd travel 10 times that distance to listen to a man as wise as Will Rogers. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that is, that just kind of tells um, who Will Rogers is and, and who he's becoming as yeah. well, I think. Another little anecdote that I, I came across when he went to meet Wilson in the, pre- in the box um, after the show, he was so nervous, and again, he had his gum in his mouth. He realized, "Oh, I've got my gum." Yeah, I mean the president. So he takes it out and sticks it in the in the brim of his hat, and you know so he had his hat off, and he's like, "Oh," he just sticks it there, <laughs> and you know he's talking to him, and you know when he walks off, and you know he without thinking he puts his hat back on, and he's got his gum in his hat, so he's got all his gum in his hair and everything. So oh, that's classic. Yeah, <laughs> those are classics. Anyway, um, so that was that was like I said, that was a uh, very important in his life, important. Um, occurrence in his life and he was very looked back fondly on it um but let's get back to the zigfield follies yeah yeah i think i think um i was going to talk a little bit about kind of what will did um you know because he had all these these ladies up there and Uh and just kind of some of the ways he came up to wisecrack that and take the shy droll cowboy Mm -hmm. sense you know and apply that to all these ladies on stage which with your story is perfect. Him jumping out there yeah, and the, right. the unexpected there. So, uh, Will was, I, 
I guess you got to point out that Will was a wisecracking Virgil to a theater full of wide-eyed Dantes. Okay. So basically, the theater was packed full of young men wanting to see all these girls, you know, in basically no clothes, you know. So <laughs> um, with his little shy looks and his little, you know, like, I don't know if I should be up here type things, you know. Um, I think he began, uh, he began, he began to like kind of mold himself um, and his style of humor, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I could be wrong, but I'd, I just saw a couple of things like that. And I, th- I thought that was told of that. So, yeah. Um, according to Betty um, from her biography, um, she said that uh, in the spring of 1916, uh, Will was approached by Zigfield um, to perform in the 1916 Zigfield, Zigfield Follies. Now, the Ziegfeld Follies was, you know, the production downstairs, like we talked about. The He had mostly been performing on the roof of the Midnight Frolic, um, another of Ziegfeld's productions. But uh, every year um, they had, you know, a run of the Follies. So there was the 1916 Ziegfeld Follies, 1915, so on, so on. Um, so Ziegfeld, um, according to Betty, she uh, he had been, Will Rogers had been approached by Ziegfeld to, to perform, Um but Betty was a little bit opposed to the idea, actually, um, you know, because kind of going back since getting out of vaudeville when he had a tour around everywhere, he had no time to really to really spend with his family, as, at least as much as he as he wanted. Um, so this this led had a, gave him a lot more freedom uh, that being in the um, Midnight Frolic. And Betty was kind of worried that, like, OK, if he gets into this bigger production, it's going to take more time. And, you know, so she was a little bit against it initially. Um, this is kind of a reoccurring theme uh, throughout <laughs> Will's life. Yeah, it yeah, seems. Yeah, <laughs> of leaving and right, and you know Betty wanting wanting more Will and right, you know rightfully so. Um, but uh, you know there was a lot of demands, even occasional touring um, that might happen with with the Follies, um, and so it, uh, it was just much more demanding. Um, and uh, again, according to Betty. Um, when Will was actually watching the 1916 show um, of the Follies, um, afterwards he recommended to Zigfield that he really needs something to lighten up the show, and he really saw himself as a as a good way to do that, just like he had with the um, the Midnight Frolic, you know, adding adding his little element to the to the production. So right, and, and from what I read, it seems like Flo didn't really care for Will right off the bat, mm-hmm. you know, right when he was beginning in the Frolic. I, you know, I you kind of uh, get that impression, and you, you kind of see Gene Buck, not Buck McKee. <laughs> you see Gene Buck kind of stand up for Will, and I thought there was an interesting thing. Um, uh, I kind of wrote this down as, uh, you know, kind of Buck McKee is another mentor. Um, Gene Buck, or yep, and I wrote it down <laughs> yeah. just like that. Gene Buck. Sorry, folks at home, we're going to be calling him that. <laughs> we we've will been confuse doing you. It, we've been doing it. <laughs> Off the air, um, just as much as on. <laughs> too many, too many bucks in Will's life. Um, it was just another, you know, quick choice of Flo not really thinking, you know, the gum chewing Will Rogers was t- quite the act they needed for the frolic. Well, you know, like I was saying back earlier too, um, where Zigfield was, he wasn't a entertainer himself. He wasn't a director. He wasn't a you know writer. He was a very good producer. And um, I think I even read somewhere um, where it said specifically that he had a very poor understanding of humor itself, like what, why things were funny, uh, what made them funny, things like that. Um, 
and you know that's why he relied on so many other people like that um so yeah uh but he he quickly saw the appeal of will rogers i think and how successful he could be and that's what zigfield picked up on yeah um i thought yeah yeah you're totally right i thought you know just kind of the way will um took the sensibilities of you know his early days in vaudeville and you know the droll cowboy and applied that to his frolic and then to his follies um i think one one thing that was critical to the success of the follies and will um was kind of the audience perception of and the appreciation of will's like spontaneity um Mm because you know at times he would just off the cuff talk yeah and i think this came from gene buck um you know, trying to change up the show because he was doing it every night, you know, mm-hmm. and it was going to be the same show if he didn't change it up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, right there, I think he starts, to, you know, it kind of leads, leads toward that where he's starting to talk about topical things, um, you know, from the newspaper or stuff he reads. You yeah, know. exactly. Um, and that's, you know, that's what Will Rogers brought to the table. You know, he was, he added some, f- some salt and some flavor to the, to the um, already very good production, but um, with the with the with the risk of monotony, um, adding Will Rogers, who was kind of a wild card, it could add anything to the show. So it was that's what made it uh, made Will Rogers such a good part of it. Um, I always like to bring up how much Will was getting paid, oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. it's really interesting because it was back in the nineteen tens, twenties, thirties. You know, um, when he was working for Vaudeville. You remember he was getting two hundred, two hundred fifty dollars a week, mm-hmm. and I, and I, you know, I still complain about that. <laughs> but uh, Zigfield, when he first signed his his two year commitment deal for a week, six hundred dollars mm-hmm. for his first year, seven hundred dollars for his second year, a, a week, yeah, uh, which is amazing pay. Um, and what was just classic, Will Rogers. There was no written contract; it was all on a handshake. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that is, that's just appropriate. Uh, a great, great spot to leave off here. And, folks, we will uh, definitely dive more into the follies. Um, like Jacob said, you know, he gets into the movies and, and he's doing the follies as well. <clears throat> and so that's going to be a big episode for us to cover, a lot of content. Yeah, there's going to be a lot, a lot more to come. And uh, just to kind of give you a sneak peek ahead, um, we'll be talking a lot about, obviously, the Ziegfeld Follies next time. Um, more about the follies, rather. Um episode after that um we'll probably start to look at uh, will rogers uh film, film yeah, career film he started career. started doing film um alongside uh the follies uh 1918 so there's uh there's a lot of fun stuff coming up and uh um so stick around definitely tell your friends if you've got them tell them that's what we usually like to say uh, i will want to close with this less than a year after Will Rogers' debut, the New York Times was declaring that in the Follies, Mr. Rogers' name leads all the rest. Yeah. It's it's so he is this is New York. This is the big time. Yeah. It, it it's funny because everywhere he's gone, all these different kinds of productions, whether you go back to the Wild West show when he started out as just kind of a trick rider and roper. And then eventually Texas Jack would um, kind of make him the, the lead um, to fill in for the Texas Jack character when um, when he wasn't available to vaudeville where he became the headliner. Um, now to the Zigfield Follies, he was a guy who could 
was was really a, a good performer and entertainer to the point where wherever he went, whatever he did, people liked to like to watch him, like to see what he was doing, see hear what he had to say. Um, so he he went from the the fences of Claremore, or you know, Kuiskui County uh-huh. to the stages of New York City. Absolutely. That, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. And this is just in a number of years. Just oh, absolutely. A few number of years. Absolutely. I mean, there was so much that uh, so much that happened um, in between there that we've talked about in the past, you know, the past episodes. But um, he was, uh, I mean, he was on the big time now, and he was he was very successful with it. Well, guys, um, I think that's going to do it for uh, this episode. Um, again, we we appreciate you so much uh, tuning in, and listening to us so religiously, um, and I hope that you will. Uh, if you like what you hear, share it with your friends. Even if you don't like what you hear, hey, you better learn to like it and share it with your friends. You anyway. better write it down on a piece of paper, mail it to your friend, and share it with your pals. Absolutely. Well, uh, guys, Bart, anything we need to say before we close? No, I just want to say that um, it was a pleasure. It was. We got to do this more often. We need to do the more biweekly thing. Get the get the crowd back to where it needs to be. Absolutely. Um, I think, uh, too, just a reminder about the things we have coming up. Um, the um, Every year, the Will Rogers Memorial Foundation has a, um, a uh, fundraiser um, called The Event. Um, this year, it's going to be at the Circle Cinema on um, August August um, 14th will be the first one, which is Thursday. And we're just playing our video blogs, correct? <laughs> no, uh, they'll be watching. They'll be watching Will Rogers' film, and there's be a nice little reception. Actually, the governor Mary Fallon's going to be there. Um, it's going to be a really cool, cool, really cool deal. So, um, visit us on our website, uh, willrogers.com, and uh, find out more about it. Um, and then also on that f- Saturday, it's a whole. It's a whole thing. Yeah, August sixteenth. It will be more of a um, again a circle cinema. Circle cinema. It will be more of a family sort of thing, not a fundraiser where you're paying seventy five dollars a ticket, but just a you know the regular entrance fee for. The Is Mary going to be there? Mary. Mary Fallon. Oh, at the, at the family night. I don't think she's going. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Um, and then Sunday. Sunday, of course, the fly. big time, the fly right. in um, out there at the Will Rogers Birthplace Ranch in Ulaga. We've got the. Uh, annual fly-in, which we have, you, you know, about a hundred planes that fly. Yeah, in. Yeah, it was incredible last year. So I'll be out there in the F-16 this year <laughs> doing the uh, the final thing that I yeah. usually do. So there's uh, the grass airstrip. You know, all these planes fly in. We've got inflatables for the kids. Um, you know, cars, some cars that'll be there. Uh, I thought show. you said inflatable cars for kids. Inflatable cars <laughs> for kids. Um, <laughs> No, no but uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a it's turned into a really great event. It's going to be a lot of fun for the kids. There's a, ch- there's a Cherokee else. storyteller. Storyteller. There's um, some live music. Music, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's all sorts of things that are going on. So, um, check out our Facebook page. Actually, um, the Will Rogers Memorial Museums. Um, we keep you updated um, with everything that's going on. There's event pages there that's got all the details for everything that we're doing. So. Um, you bet. That's kind of what we got going on. So we'll see you this uh, weekend. Well, this coming weekend up here, 14th through the 17th. That's right. That's right. Should be a good one. Uh huh. So, um, guess to wrap this up, um, send out our thank yous. Uh, this episode uh, is brought to you by the Will Rogers Memorial Commission and the Will Rogers Memorial Foundation. Uh, the episode was uh, written by Jacob Crumwitty and Bart Taylor. 
Uh, the episode is produced and edited by Calvin Frank and Bart Taylor. Um, special thanks goes out to the Move Trio uh, for the use of their music throughout the episode. And the sources we used in this uh, episode of the podcast were the Papers of Will Rogers, Volume 4, uh, Will Rogers by Ben Yagoda, and Will Rogers by Betty Rogers. And um, let's see the... The Follies book. The Follies book, that's right, by uh, Arthur Wertheim. Yep. So uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next time with some more Zigfield Follies. Sounds good, Jacob. See you next time. Mm-hmm.